Streetwise has been a Chicago publication for almost 30 years. Before COVID-19, its vendors were ubiquitous on our streets. We anticipated that we were going to have to pull our vendors off of street sales for both their safety and the safety of the people that they interact with. So while our tagline is a hand up, not a handout, certainly for about 12 weeks we were giving economic stimulus support for our vendors because many of them were not eligible for the federal benefit. Julie Youngquist is executive director of Chicago Street Paper. She says, when you buy Streetwise, you're doing more than helping a vendor pay for a cup of coffee, buy a meal, or get a room to sleep. I'm Sheila Solomon with Rivet360, and this is Chicago Media Talks, a show in which people in Chicago media talk about Chicago media. Charlie Meyerson, my co-host, is away today. We're recording this live on Clubhouse before turning it into a podcast. If you're listening live, we'll be taking your comments and questions. Just tap the raise your hand icon at any time. Julie, what is Streetwise? Streetwise is a magazine um, that's part of this global street paper movement that's really designed to give individuals who are homeless or low income both a voice and a way to earn money with dignity. So what we do is we produce this magazine weekly We sell it to our licensed, authorized um, vendors for 90 cents. They go out and sell it for $2 plus tips, and they keep all of the money. It's an alternative to panhandling. It's a job with dignity for those who are in our program. So Streetwise is most well known for the magazine and the vendors out on the street selling the magazine, but there is a whole system of support within Streetwise that addresses other needs that they have, including access to basic needs. So we have a whole food aid program. We distribute clothing. We provide personal care items. We assist with transportation, both, you know, public transportation and transportation alternatives. We also have a social worker on staff who helps with things like getting IDs, homeless certification letters, helping people get birth certificates and reestablish themselves back in the community when they've been gone for so long. Many of our vendors are eligible for public benefits, and so we assist with that, as well as the entire community of support. And that all sits for the vendors, as well as we have a workforce program. And so we actually Um, have a pretty sizable program that helps about 100 people a year get back into the workforce, both either part-time or full-time traditional employment. Who else makes up the editorial staff? So Suzanne Haney, our editor, and Dave Hamilton, our creative manager and publisher of the magazine. And it's just the two of them on a weekly basis and then some editorial meetings. Um, So it's a pretty small but mighty team. So that's a good time to bring in Dave Hamilton. Dave's the creative director at Streetwise. And Dave, these are original to Streetwise, or where are all of these stories coming from? That's right. Um, We really, really try to keep our focus on Chicago Mm -hmm. and all of the good work that's um, happening in Chicago. Uh, We really like to focus on nonprofits and also, of course, like Julie mentioned, amplifying the voices of the people we serve and the underserved in our community as well. 
everything from uh, neighborhood development, LGBTQ rights, women's empowerment. We kind of run the gamut of social issues and uh, almost all original reporting. Coming up, Julie will tell us how Streetwise and its vendors handled the restrictions brought on by the pandemic. This episode of Chicago Media Talks was sponsored by Sun Fun U Mediterranean Voyages, a supporter of local arts and culture. Visit us at sunfunyou.com. With Chicago residents under mandatory lockdown, how were vendors making a living, Julie? So the lockdown brought some interesting challenges. Of course, we anticipated that we were going to have to pull our vendors off of street sales for both their safety and the safety of the people that they interact with. So we did a fundraising appeal out to our supporters to raise funds to essentially provide economic stimulus support for our vendors because many of them were not eligible for the federal benefits that were being distributed. And so while our tagline is a hand up, not a handout, certainly for about 12 weeks, we were giving just cash support, food to our vendors just to get them through so they would still have a source of income. It wasn't, you know, necessarily on par with what they would have been making selling the magazines, but they were definitely getting support. Then we had the opportunity to uh, accept a grant in partnership with YWCA Metropolitan Chicago to do street outreach with homeless individuals for the census. Our vendors were well situated for that. They were moving about the city. Many are homeless or formerly homeless, know where to find people, know how to talk to people. So we were actually able to then bring them back online as outreach workers until we were able to return to street sales on July 6th. So while they had maybe a small interruption in their income, they did have an opportunity to get money and basic needs through the, through the, uh, the hardest shelter-in-place times. So we had about 140 active vendors on our force. During the first few weeks of the pandemic, we were able to stay pretty well in touch with 138 of them. Either they were coming in the office or we found other creative ways um, to keep in touch with them. We also see up to 50 people a year who have really are not going to attach to the jobs program or the vendor program. They simply need a meal, a bar of soap, some water, you know, socks, um, just some basic needs. And we keep our door open to provide those services for people in the community who need them. Dave as publisher and creative director. Tell us how Streetwise fits into the Chicago media landscape. You know, I think we are telling the stories that aren't really being told. We have a unique opportunity, not something you're going to see in the Tribune every day. Mm -hmm. You know, we get to um, tell the stories of our vendors. We get to hear the voices of the marginalized, and then especially talking about things like Oscars and pop culture. And I think that's what really, really makes us shine. But we also shine with the support of other news outlets, too. We're actually a member of SEMA, which is the Chicago Independent Media Alliance. Um, and we're very happy to be a part of that with The Reader and uh, Rivet360. 
um, and uh, a whole bunch about, I think there's 80 or so um, members that are all local media and we all get to support each other in our endeavors of making sure our communities are heard. And actually through SEMA, we actually got to work with Rivet very closely over the pandemic um, to launch our very first podcast. So not only are we getting to tell stories in our magazine now, but we also get to share them through a different format that we didn't know we would be entering into. That's right. Last year, Streetwise and Rivet partnered on a story about invisible homelessness. Streetwise produced the stories for the magazine, and Rivet produced the podcast called Where I Stay. And Jesse Batens, an award-winning producer at Rivet and host of that podcast. Jesse, where did the name Where I Stay come from? So the name actually kind of came from the process of creating the show. It came pretty organically out of that process. Um, for anybody who doesn't know, Where I Stay is a serialized documentary told in eight parts. So over the course of eight episodes, we're telling one story uh, episodically. And this particular story is the story of a woman named Angelica. Angelica's story of homelessness begins very early in life at the age of 12. She had a really rough childhood, didn't get along with her mom very well, and at the age of 12, ends up getting kicked out of her house. And for the next 20 years, Angelica is homeless in many different forms. But for those 20 years, the entirety of it, never once does she ever live on the street. And so the idea is to chronicle the experiences that Angelica has navigating the people, places, and situations that she finds herself in in order to stay housed. And that was really the intention with the show was to try and give listeners insight into this community of thousands of people, potentially millions across the country, who find themselves in some sort of housing unstable situation, but for one reason or another are kind of defined out of aid. They're not considered homeless according to the definitions by the Department of Housing and Urban Development. In Angelica's case, that sometimes means faking a drug addiction to get a night at an inpatient rehab clinic. She doesn't have a drug addiction, but they have a bed if you say you have one. Um, later on in the story, she finds herself living with the queen pin of a drug ring in Iowa. Angelica herself, the, the process of working with her was amazing. She's a, a very naturally poetic person. I think you'll hear throughout the story, she has this incredible ability to um, describe her experiences and, and connect them to images that are relatable to anybody, whether you've experienced what she's been through or not. She also has a, a really unique experience because she now works as a counselor at the same service provider where she used to stay when she was homeless. So she, she now works as a counselor helping other people who are in the situation she used to be in. Um, and we get to explore that story from beginning to end. What might have been the most surprising part of making this podcast for you? <laughs> I'll admit, uh, if you have listened to the story, I think you'll know that I found a lot of this surprising um, because there are 
there were multiple parts in the podcast where, um, you know, you can, you can audibly hear me kind of um, learning something new. I'll say two things very briefly. At one point, Angelica flirts with a guy in a co-ed holding cell. They're sort of like waiting to be transferred to a prison. And she sees this guy and she's like, ooh, he's, he's pretty cute. I want to talk to him. So she um, folds up a love letter in the shape of a ninja star and slides it under the fence. And they begin this romance uh, through origami ninja notes. And I, I, I just think that's so great. So we were just going back and forth. And then, you know, then you start talking nasty <laughs> to one another and whatever. Well, for sure. Uh, one more that I'll mention that was surprising um, was a literal surprise. The the very first day that I met Angelica, I knew nothing about her story. I showed up at her apartment and we sat down at her kitchen table and she like unspooled this yarn. Um, and at the end of that, she was like, I have a little surprise for you. I want to show you something. And if you've listened to the first episode, you'll you'll hear this moment. But she takes me and she shows me this mural on the back of a old grocery store on the west side of Chicago. And it's a mural that you could just go see right now. It's still up. But uh, it depicts a family. And it's actually the cover of our podcast. Because uh, we pull up in front and she shows it to me. My cousin was married to one of the sons of the owner of this grocery store. So they had um, painted the mural on the side of the wall. So right there where it says unity, you see a boy sitting down and a girl in the stroller and the two girls up top. Well, the two girls up top are my cousins. That's my brother and the little girl in the stroller is me. Whoa. So that's when we were growing up. So it's still there. I've taken pictures of it. Do you mind if I take a picture real quick? No, go for it. Yeah. And it was this just totally surprising moment. For me, it was this this little nugget of like Chicago history that you might walk by and never know. Julie, speaking of surprises, are there things about the homeless population Streetwise deals with that would be surprising perhaps to those of us who haven't experienced homelessness. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, when when Dave was talking earlier about the, you know, some of the content that's very equalizing, I think when people walk down the street and they see people who are homeless or they hear someone is homeless, there's a, a set of stereotypes and misperceptions that sort of form in our minds. And A, doesn't really get to the myriad of circumstances that can land someone in the situation of being homeless. It's things that many of us could understand. Unexpected loss of a job, unexpected medical issues, death of a spouse or a family member, resulting depression, and just the spiral that happens. Um, you know, when when one of those things happen, it's a pretty fast spiral downward. And so um, the the resiliency and the strength of people who've experienced homelessness and have come back from that is remarkable. It's incredibly expensive to be poor in the city, or I mean anywhere, but it's incredibly expensive to be poor. So many of our vendors are working three times as hard as anyone else just to eke by because it's so expensive to be poor. Now, say the other thing um, is that there are people so they're funny and they're smart and they're witty and they're talented and they're writers and they have dreams and aspirations, which 
I think, again, as people walk past someone who is homeless, um, doesn't necessarily make that connection. We have a question from Cindy Palaskas, Rivets president. Uh, I have a question for you, Julie, which is how um, connected are you with the street papers in other cities? Is this something that Streetwise is unique in doing and in serving? I know that a lot of different street papers have similar charters. And is this something that um, you guys are each managing independently or how connected are these different street papers, either nationally or internationally? Most street papers are part of the international network of street papers, which is based in the UK. There's about 115 street papers around the world that are members of, of that organization. And we're pretty connected with them. Uh, I mean, there's an associated press sort of thing that they have where we can go on and pull articles that have been done by other papers and create sort of our local flair to it. We've certainly have put articles up on the Associated Press, so to speak. It's actually called The Hub, um, that other papers have used. There's, you know, member benefits of being affiliated. But I will tell you, since the pandemic, shelter-in-place orders went into effect about 15 months ago. The North American papers have really pulled together. There's about 28 of us, and we've been having monthly meetings just to figure out how to get our vendors through this safely. So I want to ask if buying a magazine is the best way to help vendors. For sure. So not so we're really strong about this. Not only buying the magazine because that's so important to sort of the whole business model, but as important as buying the magazine to support these entrepreneurs who are really doing all of the work that needs to be done in order to get themselves into a different place, we really need people to take the magazine. The entire point of the interaction between the customer and the vendor is it's transactional. You are purchasing something and I am afforded the dignity of that transaction when you pay me and I take your product. When people don't take the magazine, they think they're doing something nice by like, oh, just you know, keep that, sell it to someone else. Now you've taken the dignity of the transaction and turned it into a charitable transaction, which not like that's just a different power differential. And so it's super important when people buy the magazine to support their vendor that they also take the magazine. And I would argue a step further, they should actually read the magazine because the content in there is original, not only from the staff, but also from the vendors, the very people that our customers are supporting and the content, both visually and in terms of the articles, is award-winning. Um, you know, the vendors, are they read the magazine. They're very proud of what's in there. And we would hope that the, the people who support them would buy the magazine, take it, and then read the magazine. So what's next for Streetwise? Any more podcasts? Um, any more awards coming up? <laughs> I mean, we would certainly... Um, love to expand across different platforms. So, you know, looking at maybe doing podcasts, looking at, you know, other ways to get our vendors voice out there um, across different medium. Um, we are actually will be starting working with a cohort of vendors to help them learn how to tell their stories, to contribute to editorial, to contribute articles to the magazine, to really expand their footprint 
um, on the magazine. And how can listeners keep up with the magazine? We, some of us are still a little nervous about being out. Mm-hmm. So if you can't buy a magazine, is there some other way that you can still contribute, read the stories? Sure. We uh, actually, during the pandemic, expanded our digital production of the magazine. So um, we actually offer subscriptions. I mean, you can buy a single issue, but we certainly have annual subscriptions and it gets sent to your mailbox every Monday. Um, and so you can see the all of the articles and the coverage that's in there and stay connected to Streetwise. And even you can assign the subscription to your vendor so they get a portion of the sales as well. So that's um, probably the easiest way to stay connected if people want to really you know, read the magazine, see the magazine, and sort of feel like they're part of the, the whole vendor experience. So is there a URL you can give people? So people can go to streetwise.org and there's a subscription function and they can sign up for whatever subscription package they wish. It's street, just streetwise.org. Um, and you actually will get your first issue immediately and then you'll get it weekly. And Jesse, what about uh, listening to Where I Stay? So Where I Stay is available anywhere that you listen to podcasts. It's on Apple, Spotify, um, Stitcher. Forgive me if I'm forgetting them. Um, but yeah, you can find it just about anywhere on your phone, computer, and um, we would love to hear from you. So if you enjoy the story or uh, you have suggestions for us, uh, sending us either an email or a review would be amazing. I have a question for Jesse in terms of looking back on the podcast. Is there anything that you would have done differently now that you're a little more um, soaked in the kind of streetwise strategy of elevating vendor voices and, and the dignity? Do, we, do you feel like that informed your work going in or are there things that you would have changed uh, now that you're more familiar with streetwise? Yeah, that's a great question. And, um, you know, picking just one is probably the hard part. One thing that I've been thinking about a lot, the recent Lissagor winning, Lissagor award winning podcast, somebody, um, I think did an incredible job of not, not like using a reporter to kind of help tell someone else's story, um, which always creates some level of separation, but working directly with somebody to help them tell their story in their own words. And I spent a lot of time and energy trying to do that with this series. And ultimately, I think I failed at that. Um, I'm all over it. My interactions with Angelica. Now, I think some of those interactions are interesting and um, insightful and, and create unique moments. But at the same time, um, if my goal at the beginning of the project was to have this be Angelica's story in Angelica's words, um, that definitely, it was more of a collaborative process in the end. And, um, you know, what they did was really unique. They hired the host and they worked with her and, and worked in a collab, like a truly collaborative sense and made her the host of the show. And, um, I'm going to think a lot about that going forward because, uh, our series was created over the course of almost two years. Um, it went through some changes as we worked on it. And 
it does reflect like older work. So I'm really proud of what we accomplished, but I want to think about how to get out of the way and let the stories, which are amazing stories, be told on their own and stand for themselves. Um, and also to possibly feature more stories and more perspectives because there's a lot more than just Angelica's story out there. I guess the only thing um, I might add is just in Angelica's case, she told me at the end of the process that I'm the only person that she's ever actually sat down and told her entire story from beginning to end to. When you listen to the story, you're, you're hearing something that um, I know was meaningful to at least that person. And since then, I've had a number of people come to me and tell me that they've lived this kind of experience um, or someone in their family has had this kind of experience. Um, someone very close to me uh, until very recently was in an experience for about the past six months where they thought that they were going to lose their housing at just about any minute. And um, what's interesting about that is that there is a lack of data. A lot of the people that are working on this issue uh, talk about the need for better data and the lack of data has really big implications, um, including some of the systems that provide housing and kind of decide who gets housing first being skewed because of the way that we collect data to the point that some of those systems are even prioritizing housing for white individuals because of the way that they quantify vulnerability. So it, it really is important that we create places and spaces for people to share these stories and collect these stories um, because the implications are much larger than the individual. Now we have a question from Terry Leiden. Terry happens to be the Vice President of Sales and Marketing at Rivet. This is Terry Leiden. Are there criteria in place to become a streetwise vendor? Like what's the process in order to become one and could anyone become a vendor? So literally our door is open and anyone who wants the opportunity to sell the magazine in order to make money to meet their needs is welcome to do so. So we give everyone a shot. Um, there are no, it, that's what makes it so amazing is there's no barriers and it's immediate, right? So they come in, they get some training, they get support, they get 15 free magazines and off they go. They can start earning money immediately. If you want to work, you're welcome. Our guest on this edition of Chicago Media Talks Recorded live on Clubhouse July 2nd, 2021, has been Julie Youngquist. Joining Julie, Dave Hamilton, and Jesse Patin. You can reach Julie at jyoungquist at streetwise.org, J-Y-O-U-N-G-Q-U-I-S-T. You can reach Dave at dhamilton at streetwise.org. You can reach Jesse Pretend at jesse at rivet360.com. Find me, Sheila Solomon, at sheila at rivet360.com. And join me and Charlie Meyerson on Mondays at 1 p.m. Central for more Chicago Media Talks. Chicago Media Talks is sponsored by Sun Fun You Mediterranean Voyages. 
visit Sun Fun U and sign up for a voyage this summer. Rivet360 makes podcasting easy. Want help with your podcast? Visit rivet360.com.